You are listening to Talent Pod from Talent FM. Your host is Nikki Dallas. Today I'm joined by Helen Maguire of Diversely. So I'd like to introduce Helen. Helen is the CEO and founder of Diversely. As an award-winning entrepreneur in the diversity space, she founded the first women's career platform in the Middle East, hopscotch.work, in 2016, which grew to a worldwide community of over 80,000, working with businesses like Facebook, MasterCard, and Nestle, and expanding to Singapore in 2018, where she now lives. To scale the impact of her work, Helen joined renowned tech startup accelerator program, Antler, in January 2020, and the idea for Diversely was born. Joining forces with her Diversely co-founder and CPO, Hayley Backer, in April of the same year, the vision for the company is to reduce workplace bias for all those from underrepresented groups, not just women, but by creating a scalable global solution through the use of AI-driven tech. So Diversely obviously is a new startup. Do you want to tell me a little bit about Diversely and, and how it came into being? So Diversely is an end-to-end bias-free hiring platform. I had the idea for it about a year ago now when I was going through a tech startup accelerator here in Singapore. It came off the back of my previous business, Hopscotch, which was a women's careers platform, which was the answer to that frustration that I mentioned back in 2014, 2015, which launched and did pretty well. We we had a a following of about 80,000 globally. We worked with huge institutions like UN Women and MasterCard and Facebook and so on to help them with their diversity and inclusion programming specifically for women. We came up with quite different and unique initiatives. Uh, I expanded it into Asia from the Middle East in 2018, but the lack of impact and the lack of scalability of that model became really frustrating because I knew that there was so much that needed to be done and we were only really impacting a handful of women on a monthly basis. So probably from around end of 2018, beginning of 2019, when I also had my third baby, so I was kind of a little bit hamstrung as to how much I could do, I realized that the model really needed to change and we needed to get to the root of the issue and not just sort of sit in the branches, which is how I felt about hopscotch in many ways. And I knew tech was was required to do that. So that's where diversity essentially was when when it came along. Why do you think that the the hopscotch had a lack of impact in in your words? Would you think it was to do with the time that that you were operating in, in terms of, you know, we've moved on a little bit now in, in terms of diversity, it's far more forward and front in everybody's minds? Or do you have any other reasons as to why you think there wasn't as much traction with hopscotch as you'd hoped? There are many reasons. I think number one, timing is a very good point. You know, I had to sell the idea of why people should be employing women back in 2015 when I first started, which is a little weird to imagine now, but there was just not, you know, this was before Me Too and um, Time's Up and all those types of movements. You know, there was just not the same awareness around it, nor was there the same impetus and particularly in you know, more developing regions economically and socially speaking, like the Middle East and and Asia, that was one thing. And just from a business perspective, um, the business model, you know, it it was, there was no scalability with that business model. It had to change just the way that the business was was set up. It was my first business. Um, I learned a hell of a lot in those 
four, four and a half years of, of running it and made a lot of mistakes, went down a lot of dead ends and knew what I needed to do to correct it and knew what I wanted to do, but not 100% how. And that's really where, you know, diversity comes in with the tech piece and, and specifically joining forces with, with my co-founder now. So I think there are, yeah, there are definitely... Um, a lot of reasons that that came together for that and what we managed to do was make a big noise about women in the workplace we had a huge impact on that front we definitely impacted women's lives you know beyond just kind of getting them a job um, we did lots of training lots of events lots of kind of larger scale forums and things like that but to me it just wasn't enough you know it, mm. it wasn't tackling the underlying issues that were not just affecting women, but affecting so many other people who were being effectively shut out of the workforce. Mm. So you mentioned your co-founder, Hayley, um, two, yes. two successful female entrepreneurs and Diversely has won awards and so on. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your relationship and, and how you and Hayley found one another and also about your awards? So Hayley and I have known each other for a couple of years. We met here in Singapore when I first got here, so I was doing a talk one very rainy evening that I remember very vividly being about six, seven months pregnant, I think, and walked in and, and it, it was relatively quiet, actually. And, you know, it's one of those things where you sort of heave yourself out of your chair at that point in, in a pregnancy and go, I'm, you know, I, I am going to do this. This is going to be. And then you get there and you're like, oh, I really hope more people turn up. And I remember doing that talk and then speaking to Hayley afterwards and just really, you know, you just hit it off with somebody and you know that you have a very common cause. She was the MD of Girls in Tech here in Singapore, which is a global not-for-profit and also had her own tech offshoring company. We got along really well. Following that, Hopscotch and Girls in Tech did some work and some events and so on together. We were very supportive of each other. And when I went through Antler, and, and didn't subsequently find my forever co-founder within that, that cohort of, of about 95 people. And I came out of it with the idea for Diversely. You know, I was very clear on the vision. I was very clear on what I wanted to solve, which I always had been, but also how I was going to solve it and what that looked like, at least in an overarching way. Um, and I knew I needed a tech brain. You know, my brain is is much more on the creative side, the comms, the marketing, sales. It's much more that side of things. That's where my experience is, particularly where D&I is concerned and, and from an entrepreneurial perspective. And I needed someone that understood building a product, you know, building a tech product and, and what that took and how much it cost and how, how long it took and all the details and ins and outs of that and managing that process. And that really requires a very specific type of person. When I was thinking, okay, who can I call about this and kind of put this forward to them? And Haley just popped into my brain one day as I was driving around, as these things do sometimes. And yes, meant to be. Yeah, just, you know, just <laughs> kind of hit me. And I thought, right, I'm just going to give her a call. So I called her and I, I can honestly remember exactly where and when and what time that phone call happened. It was a Friday morning. It was 10.30. I was driving around and... I started the conversation thinking this will just be a quick sort of conversation. And it was going on and on and on and on and on. 
And so I had to park the car and actually stop. And I stopped there for an hour and a half. And we just had a really, really good chat about the whole thing. And it wasn't an immediate like, yes, I'm going to join you and be your co-founder. It was love the idea, really love the vision. We got on really well together. We knew that. And it was like, well, let's just start it and see where it goes. And it just went from there. So that was end of April last year. We then went into lockdown around that time. So we worked remotely together for about two and a half months. And, you know, when we came out of lockdown, started the process of incorporating the business and fundraising. It's never easy starting a business, but starting it during a global pandemic certainly can't be easy. You mentioned uh, the vision for diversity a couple of times. Do you want to just outline that to me? Um, what, what is the vision for diversity? Yeah, sure. So diversity is all about taking the bias out of the hiring process in order to help businesses find the best talent possible. Essentially, diversity is really a very nice, how can I put it, secondary effect almost of what we're building. So by its very definition, taking the bias out of the hiring process means that you are fishing from a much wider talent pool and you're much more likely to find the best talent. To give you an example of that, our job description analyzer tool, which is just one of the bias-free tools that we're building, means that you will reach 70% more diverse talent and you're twice as likely to find relevant talent for your business. So these are experiments and research that we've run. Mm. We have a, a partnership with the University of Nottingham with their Centre for Applied um, Linguistics, specifically feeding us data. They've been working on the issue of, of bias in job descriptions for almost two years, funded by the UK government. So we have a, a partnership with them whereby they're feeding us um, data to help us build the AI, to help us build the, the algorithm um, that essentially tracks, reduces and removes bias in a job description. So that's just one of the tools that we're building. It goes on from there that businesses will be able to post out to a number of different job boards, bigger job boards like, you know, the Monsters, the Indeeds, the LinkedIn's, the New Voos and so on, but also much more niche job boards that will help them to find talent from, you know, different backgrounds. Yeah. Once those applicants apply via those job boards, those applications come back into clients' accounts at Diversely, completely anonymized. So their profiles, anything to do with age, race, nationality, even schools, universities, all that kind of thing is completely taken off the page, so to speak. And mm -hmm. those applicants are ranked via the algorithm that we're building according to their skills purely so that any of that unconscious bias that sometimes creeps in when you see a specific name on a CV, it happens to everybody. Everybody has this. I have it. You have it, whether you're aware of it or not. Absolutely. Um, one of those things. I mean, you just tend to gravitate uh, towards people um, who you feel you have a similar mm. background or something in common. It, it just kind of happens. So mm. this is not a blame game. It's just something that takes that heavy lifting away from sourcing and away from talent acquisition to make it quicker, yes. easier and more cost effective, really. I'm really interested in your analyzer tool because um, I don't know if you saw the research that came out just yesterday from OpenReach that was obviously BT OpenReach. Yeah, they've obviously, um, you know, recognized and, and done research around this. But it, as, as you know, it's not something that that is new. 
But I see a lot of job specs. Obviously, I, I work with executive search and I see a lot of job specs that haven't been given the time and consideration to look at the language and to look at being gender neutral and being inclusive and so on. Do you Are you still surprised with the numbers of specs or the numbers of clients that are still kind of churning out specs that aren't fit for purpose? Or do you feel that there's a real kind of sea change in terms of people are waking up to this idea? Not at all there. I mean, I have not seen any vast improvement since I started rewriting job descriptions when I launched Hopscotch, I have to be honest. Yeah, unfortunately not. And I think, you know, University of Nottingham would probably agree here. Most of the job descriptions that we see lean in some way towards being non-inclusive. And, you know, one of the things that, that we're doing with our initial clients is helping them to recognize that. And it's always a surprise to them and it's occasionally a challenging conversation to have mm. because it feels a little bit like you're pointing the finger and saying Absolutely. You know, I can't believe you've put this in a job description you know putting mm. strong about skills or something like that and it's also something that is is very nuanced and is a complex model to build because it's not just about the language that's being used it's where that language is being used and how And it's also about the structure of the job description, what's included, what's not included, and again, where that's included. All of those things put together equal or do not equal an inclusive job description. And, Mm. you know, we do not want to see vanilla job descriptions forever and a day. That's really not the point. But the point is, language matters. And if you think about it just on a day-to-day basis, the way that you speak to your husband, your kids, your grandma, your work colleague, the words you might choose and the way that you put them together, it's quite different. You know, you Mm. don't speak in the same way to everybody. And that is exactly how a job description should be thought about as well. You know, where are you lacking talent? Where do you need more talent? Who are you speaking to? Who might you not be including by um, using certain words, phrases or structures? Um, All of that stuff has to be taken into consideration. And, you know, it's a massive kind of skill in itself, something that, that takes some time to to understand it and kind of get your head around so mm. that's why we're building a tool that does it for you I think I think a lot of people in in human resources departments or talent acquisition you know they're very busy they've got so many other plates that they're spinning at the same time and I think this is just another thing they think oh wow you know this is another another thing they need to deal with whereas tools like this that can can help them to to get it right the the importance of the job spec being correct and getting the right attractions through the door is so important in terms of if you're going to hit diversity targets and goals and so on. I find it so frustrating that I just see the same thing. It turns out year after year. I mean, I sometimes get job specs and they've got, you know, circa 2016 on the bottom and you think, well, surely something must have changed. Or, or I get clients saying to me, can you just get me another one of what you got me before? Um, again, you know, no kind of thought to, to diversity or, 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 you know, inclusion or anything like that. The other thing that I suppose is my real bugbear on job specs is where people say must have a degree when the degree isn't really relevant to the role. Obviously, you know, what what are the issues with that, Helen? I mean, I think that is just right, particularly when it's must have a degree from a reputable university. Absolutely. Have a degree from, you know, such and such or, you Mm. know, honestly, whatever it might be. I think I know, my husband being one of them, and I'm sure you know as well, 
many, many very successful people who do not have a degree at all. Absolutely. Um, you know, does that mean that they are not capable of picking up skills or have the skills in the first place? Absolutely not. And I mm. think that you are just doing yourself a massive disservice by putting anything like that on a job description. I think if it's an advert for a doctor, of course they're going to need to have a degree in medicine to do that job. But there are so many more generic roles out there where transferable skills can be um, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think a way of putting that across in a job description as well so that people see themselves in it and give themselves a chance you know I think the other thing to to mention here is that not everybody has the confidence you know if you've been knocked back several times or not had interviews or not had any kind of response then you're much less likely to apply to future jobs as well because you've lost that confidence mm -hmm. so there is this kind of confidence gap between let's say a white extrovert male character who's managing to get through the doors and interview and get jobs and so on and somebody who is not from that background at all and is getting mm. knocked back and I think you know you have to take that into consideration both when you're writing that job description and when you're looking at a shortlist can you pick something up out of that person's CV or, or profile that they haven't even spotted you know can you be mm. creative about it and I think that's something you can do on the ground for sure and again it's something that we're building into the tech you know it's about spotting those skills mm. and about um, matching them as, as cleverly and as closely as you can. I mean, I think diversity is obviously such a wide area. I think most people think a bit about, you know, gender parity and, you know, equal pay and, you know, you know, being anti-racist and all of those things. But I think what a lot of people don't think about is the socioeconomic factors of yeah. um, excluding people. So they may not have been able to afford to go to, to university to do a degree. doesn't mean that they're any less capable. And I think a lot of people don't think about that when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think that a light has been shone on that in the UK currently with regards to the homeschooling. And there's a lot of children that don't have access to, to technical yeah products and to internet access to actually do their homeschooling and obviously we had the food poverty issue here in the UK as well um, that has been highlighted by by this pandemic and I think that a lot of people are kind of waking up to the realization of how unfair society can be and I think that anything that you can do that levels the playing field should be done and must be done so you know I'm really grateful for your passion in in you know diversity and creating a product like diversely and that's why I'm so keen, keen to talk to you because I also share that passion about fairness and and what is right and just and I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're not utilizing all of the skills and talent that we that we have and you know and we're also creating a whole kind of heap of people that are, are just not being considered and, and you know washed up before they've even started yeah I totally agree and I, and I think you know you have to look at this definitely not as some kind of box ticking exercise or even you know from a business perspective even morally the right thing to do, even though it clearly is. But it really is about finding that best person for the job that maybe your yes. contestant isn't looking at, for example, you know, that doesn't look like or sound like or feel like a person that you've already employed and what that can bring to the team once that happens. You know, if you're yes. a if you're a business that's creating products or creating campaigns, if you're a B2C business, essentially, then you're really missing out on perspectives of your customers 
if your team does not reflect, at least in some way, the types of people that you're trying to sell to. Absolutely, um, yeah, without just a doubt. Make common business sense, and and that's just from a you know an economic financial perspective never mind the kind of team dynamics and 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 what that brings and the fresh perspectives and you know so on that it, it is obvious really once you get into into that kind of place so there are just so many different benefits to even slightly thinking outside the box yeah no one says you have to do it perfectly no one says you have to do it end to end no one says it has to be a five-year change and plan and all the rest of it you can just start doing this tomorrow, you know, something like, uh, something like changing language in job descriptions. You can start doing it tomorrow yeah. and, and, and witness the results yourself. And I think, you know, that's the other thing that I, I suppose I would mention is measurement and analytics. I was just going to come on to that, actually. I was just going to say about your fantastic your fantastic audit tool that, that I did for my business and found it really helpful. Because I think a lot of people listening may, may kind of feel like, well, it's okay if you've got your head of diversity in your organization that's got the time to look at this or, or you know, I don't have time to kind of work out, you know, where I am on, on a scale of, di- you know, how diverse our organization is. But I did this wonderful user-friendly quick questionnaire that was so easy to complete, uh, but was still very useful and really thought-provoking around certain areas of my business and of course I came out with with the diversity score can you tell me a little bit more about about that tool yeah so this is something that we developed very early on and as you say it's you know five minute free tool that helps businesses to understand exactly where they are on the diversity spectrum so to speak it takes in all types of diversity And it essentially gives you a score. We've now scored over 50 companies, one of them being yours, Nikki, obviously, (laughs) Um, (laughs) around how diverse they are. You get a percentage percentage score. And we're increasingly improving our benchmarking, um, you know, obviously the more companies that that we score. And then once you get your score through, uh, which will come through immediately, that will be very swiftly followed by a report to break that down and explain to you where the areas are that you might want to look at improving um, talent acquisition and so on for your business in order to make your business more diverse and inclusive. So that's something that, yeah, we, we started very early. And the reason behind that is because you know, we did a lot of research before we started building diversity as a product. And one of the things that we found specifically, even with the very, very large companies that do do this very well, they have no real way of of measuring progress, no real way of understanding from an analytics or a data perspective, the impact of their decisions, their goals, and, and whether they've met, even met their goals or not. Often it comes out as some kind of three-month or six-month report that sort of gets shoved in someone's drawer and never really looked at again. And we wanted just to bring that to life and to allow businesses, number one, to set those goals, to understand where they are and and to set them, which you can do through the platform. And then to make it, you know, the way I visualize this is like the Google Analytics of DNI. So to very visually understand exactly where you are at any given point in your business, how many people of color you might have, whether you're meeting your targets from a gender perspective, whether you need to set those targets at all, whether you're considering transgender, whether you're not. It gives you all of those options to set up in the first place so that at any point on the hiring process, you can simply log into your account and say, okay, cool, we're meeting those targets. Okay, we had, Mm. you know, 70% women applied to this role and yet we hired a guy. Why was that? Should we look back at our processes again? So it just gives you that constant understanding 
of where you are and the impact that it's having on your mm. business. Of course, because in order to improve, you have to know where you're starting from, of course. Of course. And I think, you know, the awareness, you know, I was talking to somebody from the CIPD earlier, and I think the awareness is so much more there now. I mean, even that survey that you mentioned about bias language, you know, when I started talking about this to people in, in January, it was uh, last January, it was kind of like, really? I don't think we need that. You know, I, I can't imagine, I don't, don't see how it's possible to build something like that that can possibly detect mm bias language and so on so the awareness mm. is building rapidly and I think particularly over the last 12 months with everything that's happened and I know that yeah. you and I spoke previously about Black Lives Matter and so on but the technology and the tools and the solutions are still very bit part and that's really what we're trying to mm. solve and bring together. Mm. I just think um, any company or organization that isn't looking at this is going to be missing a trick in terms of talent acquisition further down the line. There was a recent study that among millennials, I think, that said that diversity and inclusion was the most important consideration for them for a future employer. Now, obviously, if companies aren't looking at this, then they're going to be missing out on a fantastic talent pool coming through. So I think that any any other tools that that help organizations to to improve in this area are welcome. so yeah. the analyzer tool we've talked about and we've talked about the the audit score and so on are, are there any other parts of diversity that are either in, in the pipeline or are online now that people would like to know about yeah so we're starting our beta testing trials now um, they start this month our launch happens in may of this year so we have limited spaces available to trial our tools to set up your account as we roll those tools out as you rightly say, the first step in doing that is the analytics, understanding where you are and, and the tool um, to help you reduce bias. Following on from that, we'll have a tool that allows businesses to post out to, to lots of different job platforms. And then we'll have an anonymizer tool, which I think I mentioned briefly earlier. Yes. And that will enable businesses to, you know, essentially blind hire. So taking... Mm-hmm any of those issues that that you might have around that. And and it's a very difficult thing to achieve if you're getting CVs in. How do you anonymize them before the person that's dealing with the role sees them? You know, it's it's Mm. a huge for one thing. And for another thing, it often doesn't quite work as you want it to. So that's all done automatically and will be done for our, our beta testing trial clients as well. And then the, you know, once you get your ranked candidates by, by skill, you can download that and essentially feed it into your systems. Integrations with bigger systems and ATSs are, of course, on the roadmap with what we're doing, yes. but we'll just take time, you know. So this is our yeah. kind of our way of doing it for now. And what's the long-term vision for diversity? When will you be able to sit back and put your feet up and say, okay, we've achieved <laughs> what we set out to do. We've been successful. What, what would that look like for you and Hayley? That's such a big question. I, mean, I know. I, always... <laughs> I ask the tough questions. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a tough question. I always say with Hopscotch, the minute that this problem is solved, I'll no longer have, you know, I'll no longer have a job, essentially. I'll no longer have to come into the office. I think with Diversely, for us, it's about creating opportunity for as many relevant people out there as possible for mm. as many relevant roles as possible. I don't think that there is a number that we could put on that. But I will say that the ambition is definitely global. Of 
course, we're here in Singapore, but we're already getting quite a lot of attention from UK, Europe and the US, for example. Mm. I think that we would like to see our tools operate in different languages so that we're not just servicing an English market. And, yep. you know, we, we would like this tool to be brought on board into much bigger systems so that bias is taken out of the process as part of the process. Mm. You know, not built this as an added extra task. We've yes. built it so that this process is completely built into a normal workflow um, yes. when you're looking to hire somebody. And I think that's, you know, that's the end goal for us to mm. get that all the way up the chain. So it becomes the norm rather than the exception. Um, completely, completely. Because, mm. you know, we get that for many people currently. And as you say, we've got a DNI head in our company. We don't really need to worry about this. Or if they mm. give us something to do, it's an extra task. You know, we don't have time. We don't have budget, whatever it might be. So this is why all of these things are threaded through a very normal process. You know, any mm. kind of process that anyone will go through it in hiring somebody and making it quicker, easier, and, and cheaper, essentially. So mm. we would like to see it be the gold standard for hiring, full stop, and to have that as something that's that's out there on LinkedIn, for example, that businesses can defer to, let's say, if there are any kind of issues or irregularities, then it's, no, 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 we follow the diversity process. We have been completely yes. unbiased in our hiring processes. So, you know, that's really the, the, the end vision for it. I just think non-biased hiring is just such an important element for just society as a whole. Do you think that there are certain societies or geographic locations that you've lived in or experienced that are ahead of others in terms of DNI or behind in, indeed? I mean, I know traditionally that there's a perception that there is a lot of disparity between men and women in the Middle East, for example. Was that your experience? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely on a spectrum. And I, I've talked about that in, in another discussion we had towards the end of last year, actually. And we was asked specifically to talk about experiences from, from west to east, if you like, having mm. started off in the UK and now ended up in, in Singapore for the moment. Yes, the conversation is different depending on where you are. And yes. it also depends on the socioeconomic development of not just a region, but a country, a city, a town, you know, it's really why, for example, mm. when you do the diversity score and report, we ask you to focus essentially on the office where you are or at the very most the city where you are, because yes. you cannot really answer this much more broadly than that. It, it's not mm. possible. It means different things in different places. Yes. Uh, the breakdown of race and background and culture is very different in different places. Mm. And I know when you and I talked about Black Lives Matter, well, frankly, black lives don't matter here in Singapore because there yes. are very few black people here. It doesn't make sense for that to be a huge imperative for organisations. What it does do is bring to the fore exactly those, those issues and those problems, mm -hmm. which are very relevant here and are very relevant everywhere. Um, yeah. But that racial breakdown looks different depending on, on where you're from. And the same with, you know, male, female. If you take, for example, many more, uh, say, say, less developed um, cities or countries or regions there is lots and lots of work being done by females but it's just not recognized in the same mm. way you know it depends what type of work you're you're talking about and it definitely depends on where you are in the world so mm. the conversations are different can be more progressive if I'm speaking to people in the UK for example who have been through these processes I mean there is 
gender law has been enshrined in the UK since the 1970s, where, where pay is concerned. There are many, many places in the world that, that are still catching up with that. So no, it's not even, but it doesn't mean to say that you know, you can start from anywhere with this, right? I mean, I find it really interesting, you know, in the UK, there's very few women in construction and engineering, for example, whereas that isn't seen as much across Europe. You know, in in Europe, there's a lot more women in engineering. In Qatar, for example, I remember I was working on a head of technical services there with M&E, and almost all of the applicants that I had were women. And I couldn't couldn't understand it because in the UK, it would be incredibly rare to get someone, you know, head of technical services from an M&E background. um, that's female so that's certainly there are a lot of differences why do you think that even though we've got stuff that's been enshrined in in law in the UK why do you think certain sectors are still so far behind do you think it's a cultural thing do you think it's the, the way that they're hiring do you have any any view on that yes it's it's, a, it's an interesting question and I guess I can speak from a personal perspective here following a conversation I had with Hayley my co-founder around Christmas time over a, a couple of wines to celebrate our, <laughs> our end of our year. And we were talking about our, um, our childhoods and she has a father who is, you know, very into kind of tech and engineering and invention and so on. And she has an identical twin sister. So she always jokes that, you know, her dad really wanted boys and he got identical twin girls. And when, from, from a very, very young age, her father was, teaching her about circuit boards. He was teaching her about going out, building fires, camping. He was teaching her, you know, very sort of complicated maths as well um, to a certain extent. Mm. And so when she went to school, she just didn't see any reason not to get involved in those types of things. It was never kind mm. of a, a hurdle that she had to leap over. And she, she's Dutch. So interestingly, as you say, um, this could also be a European thing. Yes. Um, Whereas, you know, my family, I mean, my dad's an entrepreneur. Um, he's quite business savvy and financially minded. But certainly I was not encouraged down a science or a, or a maths route particularly and always found it quite frightening, you know, always kind of saw it as something that I couldn't naturally do. I wasn't very good at. And, and I said to Haley, but actually, when I think about it, you know, I did my maths GCSE a year early. I was doing A-level maths by the time I was 15. So that's not true. You know, that's simply not the case. And I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination, because I'm Mm. definitely not. But it's those sort of beliefs that came from somewhere. And I can't Mm. tell you where they came from. And I think that Hayley, in her work in, in Girls in Tech, her battle is or was to get to very young girls and to encourage them to get involved in this. That was her belief that actually it started very, very young. And I think that has to be the aim, really. And, and mm. I see it with my kids as well. I mean, I have two girls and a boy. We're looking around schools at the moment for my eldest. Recent school that we went to look at had a robotics and coding lab. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, like mind blown kind of thing. But, but that's where it has to start. Because Absolutely. it can't be seen as something extra or something oh I have to get over this fear of it or something I can't do it, it, it's really no more difficult than mm. building lego in many ways or putting a road yes. together or putting mm. a train together it's it's just a different process of thinking I think it has to really start 
start there. And I think there are definitely ways in which you can attract more women into tech. There are so many women out there in digital marketing, for example, who have very analytical brains, in sales who have very financial brains, who Mm. could make that leap quite Mm. easily in many aspects of tech. But it's just, um, you know, it's not thought about in that way. Um, And the description isn't written in that way. So Absolutely. uh, there there we go again another example but yeah um, (laughs) it all links up people it all links up (laughs) yeah join the dots somewhere absolutely Um, if you can see it you can be it huh that's what everyone's talking about so if little girls can see female pilots and female surgeons and all of these things then they they can be those things if they can see tech leaders and you know women like yourselves that that, that are winning awards in tech you by the way I did ask you that question earlier and you you were were very modest and you didn't mention tell me about (laughs) your award that that you won (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so this kind of kick-started our journey last year a little bit. So we entered a number of different things. And to be honest, it was all about fundraising. So it was kind of, right, do we get money if we win this? And if we do, brilliant, because then we <laughs> can start something. And so one of them was the HRM uh, Asia Awards, which was around HR tech and innovations in HR tech, specifically HR tech startups in, in Asia. And we did not think anything of it when we put that application in I have to be honest because we were totally pre-product we built a deck especially for it because we didn't have one yet but we knew where we were going we knew what we wanted to build and we got through to sort of the last 20 and then the last 10 and then we were like oh and then the last five and then we had to pitch competitively pitch against four other tech companies and we were placed third out of all these different HR tech companies all of which has sort of million dollar revenues and so on and that was announced in I think September of last year so that really kind of set us on our way and and helped us from a PR perspective and definitely helped us from an investment perspective as well Mm. I think you know you have to be very wary of awards sometimes because there are many 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 fake awards out there particularly in the HR space uh, which we do not touch with large poles but this was such a nice such a nice boost I think at that point in our journey I'm sure there will be many more awards and accolades to come. Thanks so much for talking to me, Helen, and I wish you every success with the diversity journey. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it and loved our chat. Thanks so much, Helen. You've been listening to The Talent Pod, brought to you by Talent FM. You can find out more about Talent FM's commitment to non-bias hiring at www.talentfm.co.uk.